Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul Reesmandel. Hello, everybody. I'm Eric Klein. And hi, I'm Jennifer Waits. Well, it's that time of the year. It's December. And we, uh, we often are brought to thoughts of looking at the year that was. And we understand that this year, 2020, um, is not necessarily the year that everybody wants to look back at. However, it, like it was, there were so many implications across so many parts of our lives. There were many implications for the world of radio and sound. And there were things that had uh, kind of maybe nothing to do <laughs> with the pandemic, for instance, um, that we'll also kind of look back at, as well as looking at, at really how... Um, how radio, radio stations, people who make radio, make podcasts, uh, work in the world of sound, coped with the challenges that we all are, have, have learned to deal with now as we close out uh, this year. So uh, as we do, um, usually in December, we're going to take a look back. Um, one thing we're going to look a little less at today, this week because we're going to look at it more in depth next week. Man, there's been a lot at the FCC, and especially there's been a lot at the FCC Right now, it and has so been. We'll invite, I yeah. wanted to turn our podcast into a breaking news radio program because of what happened at the FCC this week. I, I'm so excited that we're going to talk about it with uh, with the right guests and experts uh, very soon yes. on the show. We look forward to welcoming Professor Christopher Cherry from the University of Minnesota and uh, Radio Survivor's own Matthew Lassar from uh, the University of California at Santa Cruz. Because yeah, if I might say so, us, uh, put it, that in perspective. it looks as if President Trump, on his way out the door, God willing, threw a bomb at the FCC that will have uh, long-term effects on on how this uh, – you know, there are two Republicans, two Democrats, and then the chair is appointed by the president. That's how the FCC has worked, and oftentimes – uh, the Federal Communications Commission, especially outside of who's the chair, um, the individuals that are sitting there that have been appointed by the Republican Party or the Democratic Party are very uh, – like they're insulated from D.C. politics. They tend to be wonks mm. more mm. more often than mm. what goes on. Mm. The heat is turned a little bit lower. Mm. And Donald turns, Trump just fired yeah. one of the Republican uh, – uh, commissioners on commissioners. the FCC and replaced him with somebody uh, who's less qualified, and it's going to have long-term impact. So I'm really excited that we're talking about that uh, on next week's episode. Yeah, so we th- look forward to that one. But uh, I think we will actually kind of um, to get getting started. I mean, uh, it's a controversial in some quarters anniversary this year, but uh, we celebrated it, you know, last month in November, and that's the hundredth birthday of commercial broadcasting in the United States, and that which was on November second, and 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 like many firsts, as Jennifer will point out, they're always controversial. This, what people seem to get upset about is really when it gets conflated as the hundredth birthday of radio broadcasting in the United States. But there isn't too much controversy around the first commercial station intended to be commercial from the start going on the air, KDKA in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Right. Technologies emerge in a beautiful and chaotic environment where different individuals get a hold of the same types of devices. It's You would never want to uh, pin a first claim on, you know, Jennifer has taught us, uh, do not try to pin a first claim on the first college radio station to go on the internet because lots of people were working on this project at the same time. Well, a couple, yeah, you can pin that claim on a couple of college radio stations. 
Um, they get but, together. Yeah. They five five people get the award and they share it. It's not they don't well, have it, a hierarchy. And I mean, the first college radio station. I still I still don't have an answer for that answer or to that question, for example, um, because there's so many different ways you can define these things. You know, the first radio, even with the first radio station, is it the first radio station with scheduled programming that, you know, occurred on a regular basis? And and one of those was sort of a radio school that Doc Harold ran. Um, and so often people think of that as the first radio station or one of the first radio stations what, in the country. Roughly what year was that? Doc Harold. Oh, I think it was 1909. Don't don't yeah. quote her, folks, but we think around, <laughs> yeah, right. around the, the first decade of the 20th century. And we readily acknowledge that there are broadcasts of all sorts, including regularly scheduled broadcasts that happened in the period between, you know, before 1920, uh, November 2nd, 1920. But nevertheless, I think, you know, it, it, is, it is nice to have a date to kind of hang our hat on that's that's well understood and well documented because it gives us this opportunity to celebrate radio broadcast and for us to be able to say that 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 radio is uh, at the very least 100 years old and commercial broadcasting is at the very least 100 years old is is a wonderful thing um and it was a nice little highlight i think for the year to 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 have some recognition thrown at the medium um on on the uh, occasion of this anniversary, uh, and and I think uh, that's why I, I wanted to put it on our list here for um, for some some important stories in in the in the year of twenty twenty. Um, but we can move on from there because there's there's another phenomenon, and this one's much more tied to um, tied to the pandemic and and tied to the social distancing which has been necessitated by uh, in order to protect ourselves from the coronavirus. And that's been this renewed interest in tiny radio stations, in what are known as so-called Part 15 uh, radio stations. These, this is the ability to broadcast on the AM or FM dial um, with a tiny bit of power, legally, without a license. And Part 15 is, is really the part of the... Uh, of the of the code of the law that uh, that sets the rules for for what is really called unintended emissions, so really interference or noise, uh, but therefore also sort of covers uh, how much uh, signal you can have on the AM or FM band without having to get a license. And this it's what what, this, what sort of covers your little uh, car transmitters and yeah, such. And this would be a radio. You know, we talked to a guest many years back who described that one of the one of the best uses of this technology was to broadcast. Your your record player to your radio because they didn't have the cables. So this was a very like one house radio station, not a neighborhood radio station. That's right, the idea exactly. of the technology. And then you know, and certainly yeah. in college radio, part fifteen has been huge with these campus only radio stations that started in the early nineteen forties mainly, um, and and lasted for a good long good long while. Some of them still might even be continuing to this day where where radio stations are broadcasting to a dorm or to a cluster of dorms, uh, you know, to an entire campus community without having a license. Right, because the signal's intended to stay on the campus and not, and, and not broadcast to the wider community. And the technology is soldiered on uh, for decades, and, you know, in part because there are uses like campus radio. Um, it's been employed in drive-in movie theaters, um, you know, folks have found a lot of interesting applications for the technology, even if there's really, really 
stark limits on how far your signal can go. Um, you know, and when we say limits, we're talking uh, limits on the order of uh, yards and meters, right? <laughs> Not miles. Um, and, and there's been a, a vibrant, you know, hobbyist community, which, which we've engaged with. Um, and in fact, Radio Survivor airs on some of these hobbyist uh, Part 15 unlicensed stations, you know, that, that continue to sort of keep, keep it alive. And so you've been able to buy transmitters. Uh, AM and FM transmitters that comply specifically with these regulations where you can get yards or um, in some cases fractions of a mile uh, out with your signal. But what sort of seems to spark this renewed interest has been the fact that people want to sort of gather together, um, you know, in a way, uh, often in their cars, you know, church services seems to have been a real um, a real use case uh, gathered together for say Sunday church, you know, around their cars without having necessarily have uh, big, uh, you know, uh, PA systems or, you know, really if you're right. in your car, then you are sort of socially isolated and most cars have a radio. And, and so setting up a little radio station that might cover a parking lot um, pretty easily is, is one way to, to make sure that the, uh, that the sermon is, is received by all who show up. Yeah, I had a I had direct um, experience with this sort of thing, and I'll just briefly describe how excited I was that when you think about a parking lot PA system, um, you might imagine a certain sound and tone quality of these speakers uh, echoing and bouncing around surfaces in the parking lot. It is actually really intimate and fun to listen to that same uh, event spoken into microphones on your car radio. It's a much different experience, um, much more uh, uh, much more pleasant to the ears. And so I had a really wonderful um, middle school graduation parking lot ceremony. Um, that wasn't that was in 2019. No way. Gosh, no, no. That was this year. God, what is what is it. life? It's it's a very long year. <laughs> it's been yes. a very long year. That was my son graduated from. His his middle school year began in 2019. It was the yeah, and the, I think graduations, performances, more, and more you know, drive-ins. Like uh, there have been more sort of, I don't know, rogue, not rogue, but um, impromptu. You know, yeah, show, a lot of drive-in movie theaters have closed over the years, but since the pandemic started, there have been these parking lots that have been converted into kind of impromptu drive-ins. Yeah. And then, and and the thing is, is you know, folks often say, well, you know, well, why not just, you know, couldn't you just do streaming audio, right? And and you know, just put it on the internet. Why couldn't people just be listening to like a Facebook Live or something on their phones and, and in their cars? On their phones in their cars, and and, and and one, there are areas of the country where there isn't great uh, mobile broadband, so that would make it a difficulty. Not everybody has enough uh, enough data on their plan yeah. to make that a feasible solution. There's no possible way that can be synchronous. And and and, and yeah, the thing you'll learn very quickly is that uh, there the lag could be up to minutes. For, and different cars getting different lags. Yeah, and 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 certainly if you're looking at the folks who are speaking you will their lips will not be in sync. We can guarantee that. It's not even a it's not even a uh, a guess that it, it will be out of sync. And then, you know, and then if you say, well, maybe we rely on the church's Wi-Fi, you know, well, you know, maybe their Wi-Fi doesn't have the capacity to handle, you know, however many people in a parking lot all trying to listen simultaneously on a phone. Whereas you can buy, uh, you know, one of these transmitters from for anywhere from 200 to to $1,000 
and quickly, you know, be up and running. Uh, one thing I have to note uh, is that where some people uh, might get caught is the fact that right now on places like eBay and Amazon, you can buy transmitters that are not legal to use in the United States and that are actually advertising themselves as sort of, you know, parking lot church transmitters. Um, and in fact, that led uh, one uh, Tennessee uh, legislator to um, write a letter to the FCC asking if the FCC might not amend Part 15 oh, regulations wow. to allow uh, to allow higher power. Um, and, and Chairman Pai wrote back to say no. Uh, and, and outlined really, you know, <laughs> the reasons why that, you know, it's sort of uh, it seems simple, but what would actually be difficult in practice uh, to regulate. Wouldn't it be nice if you're um, late and you're driving to your church service, but you're <laughs> you're half a mile away and you could just turn on the church service and hear it? Yeah. So I wrote that about this be, earlier in the year radio. Uh, at Radio Survivor. So if you go to our show notes, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast, look at this episode, um, you know, you'll have a reference to that article. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, I'm guessing that it's because he probably has churches in his uh, rural-ish kind of uh, – district who are probably using these using these amazon transmitters already and kind of would like a pass um you know and it's important to understand that because you know it it, is we've talked quite a bit about unlicensed radio and and unlicensed radio that isn't necessarily legal here on the show and it's important i think for folks who know what they're getting into more so than anything else this reminds me of the conversation we had uh, many weeks ago but this year with um experts on irish college radio and how the some of these college radio stations would just um be like a weekend project they'd be right. they'd be they'd be a, a radio station you could really listen to not just in that parking lot but in the town but yeah but they, would they call them go. like festival licenses Fest- yeah, where festival they radio. might be over terrestrial radio once or twice a year yeah and so we just sort of you know as the interest goes up you know there are also companies which offer um, fully legally and compliant. And in fact, uh, if you're offering um, one of these transmitters for sale in the United States saying that they are Part 15 compliant, in fact, you're obligated to uh, have the FCC inspected and certified as such. And so there are companies uh, which do sell FCC certified uh, Part 15 transmitters. And many folks will say, well, they don't go very far. And we'll go, well, that's what the rules permit. you know. Um, but hobbybroadcaster.net, is really a, a great website for people to look into. If that's something that interests you and you want to create like a radio station for your church or, or a school assembly or a performance of some sort, um, they review the transmitters, they tell you how they perform and have lots of hints and tips for you to go ahead and make sure you're, you're buying a transmitter that's not going to potentially get you an unwanted visit from uh, your friendly local FCC office, but I think that that's been uh, to see this renewed interest in 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 the applica- this application of radio. Um, I think has been fascinating here in in 2020. And this is Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. And uh, on this episode, we're taking a look back at radio and audio and podcasting um, and what the year was for these things in uh, in 2020. And um, you know, looking at the FCC again, uh, what I think is really interesting is that uh, last month the commission decided to approve all digital AM radio, um, which is not something 
you know, I, I thought would have been uh, less likely if you'd asked me a couple of years ago. Um, but it, in fact, it was a unanimous decision that all, all standing FCC commissioners, uh, five at the time, um, agreed to, to let radio stations move forward broadcasting all digital using the technology HD radio, which I'm sure many people have heard of, um, on, on an elective basis. Yeah, and we talked so about this. Is, this is something they're permitted to do, but they're not required to do. We discussed this topic at length, uh, Jennifer, yeah. myself, and Paul. I, we, got a, we got very excited about the implications. And so that if you, if you want to hear us um, bat around these ideas more, uh, link in the show notes to, to that episode. I, I believe it was about eight weeks ago or so. Yeah, I think the, the, the thing I want to point out is that uh, I, I've been seeing in radio world, um, uh, you know, uh, the, there's a number of stations that have uh, been reported to saying they're very excited, in fact, uh, to take advantage of, of this HD radio opportunity, even though it may mean that, that their signals are heard mostly in cars, even though there's, a, you know, many like AV receivers will often have an HD radio receiver built in. Um, and a lot of these stations are broadcasting music. Right, and and I think what we've seen over the last couple of decades is that uh, there's fewer and fewer ra- radio stations on the AM dial that feature music, in part because the, the fidelity is low, the fidelity is better on 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 FM, um, and and often a lot of the stations that that played music on the AM dial um, did so for a demographic that may be kind of diminishing in size. People who are used to radio sounding the way it sounded before the 1970s, but a certain fidelity (laughs) that there's a couple of stations in Southern California that, that plan to uh, go forward with uh, a classical and an oldies format. Um, and, and under the, with, with, uh, HD radio on AM, um, the signal quality, the sound quality can be quite good. Uh, the difference between your your standard AM signal, you know, sort of sound quality, and the HD radio sound quality, I have to say, is quite stark. The Oldies. noise goes away. Uh, there's much greater uh, bandwidth. You get high frequencies where there were none um, before. Uh, it's not, you know, I would say, depending on your ears, it may not be quite as good as really good FM, but it's the, the difference between regular AM. And HD radio AM is is rather remarkable uh, if you if you ever have a chance to experience it. And one way to try it out is if you have a newer model car with an HD radio, tune around your AM dial, and what you may find is you'll have a station where it'll be really buzzy for a moment or two, and then when your uh, radio locks on to the HD signal, all of a sudden the noise will go away, and and the quality will change. Um, it's it's sort of interesting. And just to um, just to emphasize the story of this year of 2020 is that there was HD AM radio. Prior to 2020, but this year the FCC is allowing stations to essentially turn off their non-HD signal, yeah, their analog signal, and go fully HD on the AM. Yeah, and what that'll mean is that you know your sort of standard kind of portable radio with an analog receiver will no longer receive those stations that make the transition. Um, But uh, you know they're making the, the bets often that you know people are listening in their car. Also, a lot of the stations have uh, been granted what are called translator station or repeater stations that are on the FM dial. So in many cases, the stations that will be making this transition um, also can be heard on the FM dial uh, with an analog signal, right? That can be, uh, that can be received by any radio. So they're sort of um, doubling up their chances there. Um, and so that's something that, that, 
the the rules take effect and and I expect we'll see some of those stations uh moving to all AM all digital uh operation on AM dial in uh 2021. So I think, you know, Jennifer, uh, next up is a topic that that uh, that you've identified. You know that that I think uh, is it, pretty clear, especially you know, especially I think in non-commercial radio, right? Uh, you know, not that it shouldn't be uh, across all of radio, but I think that that this is something we've seen the the impact of more so in sort of public uh, college and, and community radio. Yeah, I you know, twenty twenty has been an important year in which people are speaking out about racial injustice, about gender injustice, about rights of LGBTQ plus members of the LGBTQ plus community. And those conversations have been happening in radio. So we've seen some organizations who are stepping up kind of grassroots uh, projects. And, And we talked about this on one of our episodes about public media for all, which is a project that people working in public radio have started feeling like public media hasn't always been a welcoming place for people of color. And, and we're talking about behind the microphone, right? We're, right. we're talking about it hasn't been a welcoming place inside the walls of stations. Not exactly. necessarily uh, on the air, although well, we're not excluding one, the on the air experience. One has an impact on the other. Exactly. If you don't hear people's voices on the air, you might not want to be listening to. Yeah. And so, you know, there may be there may be this emphasis to even recruit more people of color to a radio station. But what a lot of people of color point out is that it doesn't necessarily mean that that station is a welcoming place. Um, and so some folks end up leaving these organizations because the the institutional structure is really not all that supportive. So it's it's been great to see people stepping up with like very clear agendas and action items, you know, things that other stations can latch onto if they want to try to make for a more inclusive community. So public media for all is one of those efforts. And then on the sort of content side of things, there's a group called Fair Play that just started up that's more of a music industry um, collaboration among individuals who are trying to improve representation of people over the airwaves. So so we're seeing projects on both sides, like the institutional side improve the situation at a radio station for staffers, but also to have a more inclusive sound on your radio station, um, working to end systemic racism um, by advocating for people of color and voices that have been excluded from the music industry. And then in addition to that, I just, you know, in in the conferences and events that I've been going to this year, I feel like these topics are more in the forefront, which is really great. So student radio organization or at student radio conferences at community radio conferences people are having these conversations you know not only about racial justice but also about um you know how are, how do we treat people who are transgender more fairly in our communities as well how do we have um conversations that are more welcoming to uh people who may not even identify as male or female. And and it's just been 
I think, a year, a tough year being in a pandemic. But on top of that, with these murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and um, increased emphasis on the treatment of people of color in the United States, it's it's created this urgency to have these conversations. And it's no longer it's no longer just something that you can um, push aside as like something nice to do in your organization. It's something that, you know, people are really demanding that, that every type of organization, a radio station, um, a school, any sort of community you're a part of kind of has an important role to play in making, making the United States a better place. Um, So, so that's been really important to me. Um, to watch these actions. And I'm really gratified by the progress that people seem to be making. Um, There have also been some efforts. um, WFUV started a project to try to make sure that women's voices are represented more equally on their radio stations. So, um, and I'm hearing more about this, you know, stations that are doing sort of an audit of the artists that they play on their radio station to make sure that, they're not just playing one slice of the community, which has tended to be white men. So at WFUV, they're making an effort to make sure that they're playing more and more material by women. Um, so yeah, that I just wanted to to make sure that we talked about this um, in 2020. You know- and we're seeing. I mean, I, I can speak from the side of podcasting that I mean, we're seeing similar efforts. And 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 I, I want to note that these efforts are 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 difficult. And I don't mean difficult necessarily, just hard to pull off, but that it requires um, some real uh, reflection and honest reflection. And and in some cases, I think requires that. Uh, uh, white people in particular who've enjoyed being in power and enjoyed privilege uh, have to really consider the effects of their own their own existence and how they use that power and and whether they should continue to do so you know it's it's i think that that you know whether it's in radio or in or in organizations that are powerful in podcasting a lot of public radio institutions also are are um, powerhouses in podcasting or they are or there's institutions in podcasting that have sort of grown out of the public radio sphere because that was for a long time in the United States the home of 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 sort of uh of talk radio that wasn't just uh you know a host taking calls right of of sort of uh of the kind of talk that 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 has become very popular in podcasting you know and there's a lot of leaders you know frankly who are who are at or near retirement age, you know, and what we, what we often don't always take into account is how, you know, someone staying in a role, uh, means that someone else can't have that role. Right. And, and it has, and, and the sort of, um, that attitude of, of trying to, of staying in place and consolidating power, even if it's not, the intention is not to keep people of color out has that effect. Um, and that in the aggregate, maybe, is, it seems more intentional, frankly, and I think that this, we've seen some high-profile um, uh, retirements and, and stepping down in, in, in public radio organizations and in other organizations. And we've seen some some uh, in the podcasting industry. Uh, we've seen you know hosts of color who maybe have left uh, particular organizations 
uh, realizing they don't own the rights to the shows that they created, right? Or or never uh, got the terms, didn't get the same terms as other people did, uh, even though the shows they may have done were essentially built upon their own personalities, right? Um, as as po- as especially in chat show kind of podcasting tends to be, and so there's been a, a bit of a reckoning there as well uh, to understand that that's that's the result of a power dynamic, right? And it, and a very uh, institutionalized power dynamic that that is is so institutionalized that to uh, especially I think to uh to people who identify as white is is uh, opaque and and just it's just the way it is right it becomes the way it is until someone you know points out that no there's a pretty firm wall there as we throw as we throw things against it that don't penetrate um and so yeah you know and we're seeing it and it's and it's happening in commercial radio as well right um indifferently but there are, there is some newfound uh emphasis on on um uh, providing more opportunities for, for people of color and to make sure their, their voices are heard. Yeah, like providing space and amplifying voices. And also, like you mentioned, Paul, you know, uh, I think this is a moment where white people, <laughs> white men, you know, white women are, it's important for for all of us to take on this work that has largely we've largely expected people of color to carry the burden of this work. And, and now is a moment when we're seeing more people taking on that work, which is, you know, it's, it's very important that we all recognize our role in, in perpetuating these systems and know when to step back so that other people can, can have their voices be heard. Um, And so I, yeah, I think that's a, an important part of of what's happening this year is that many more of us are recognizing the important role that we all need to play in this. And I want to point out that uh, Public Media for All at publicmediaforall.com, uh, the effort to to really push for uh, for more equity and justice in, in public media, um, they have some tools and they have some advice for allies, right? So in specific, you know, very specifically for white allies, uh, you know, and how you can you can contribute and, and you can play a, a positive and constructive role. And so I, I certainly uh, uh, recommend that folks check that out. Um, and, you know, we did have uh, – w- we did talk about this and talk with representatives from uh, Public Media for All on episode 270, which, of course, we'll have a link to that in our show notes at uh, radiosurvivor.com. Uh, and, of course, this is Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. We're looking back at twenty in 2020 in radio, in sound podcasting, college radio, community radio, public radio. I'm Paul Reismandel. Uh With me are Jennifer Waits and Eric Klein. And as I mentioned, you can learn much more about all the things we're talking about at our website at radiosurvivor.com. That's also where you can uh, find this podcast. If you're listening on the radio and you'd like to check out and go back in time or check out future episodes, you can also learn where on the radio you can hear Radio Survivor. Um, if you're happening to tune in on the dial and you're not quite sure, uh, find out where else uh, you can hear our show. So a huge topic, you know, we've been talking about coronavirus and the pandemic and a huge topic that we've covered on the show a lot this year is this forced shift to remote broadcasting for a lot of radio stations. And and back in the spring, we did four episodes in a row, right when things were really you know, right at the beginning of 
when things started shutting down in the United St- in the United States, we talked to people from different radio stations about right. how they were managing this transition. Well, it was back when shutdowns were occurring in California, but had not yet been implemented in other states, in Texas, for instance. We had a guest from Texas and from California on that first episode, and it was very stark, um, the the amount of information that our Texas guest had compared to our California guest, um, because it was early, because it was very early. And um, Well, and, and I yeah. might point out just from, you know, always being the voice of college radio here, you know, we we all probably remember that colleges were starting to shut down at the beginning of the pandemic and so that was um you know in my in my social media feed uh in march i was watching all of these colleges and universities and radio stations that were quickly you know kids were being students were being sent home um and so we we spent a lot of time talking about what was happening at different college radio stations when your campus is suddenly shut down. And then that same cycle repeated for, you know, community radio stations trying to figure out how to keep their um, members of their station community safe with with a virus swirling in their community. So this was, you know, people in the beginning were really trying to figure out what does this mean? There were stations like WFMU that were prided themselves on live programming all the time. And, and suddenly they were airing rebroadcasts, uh, which ended up not being all that satisfying for them. And so they, you know, figured out technologically how to get people set up so they could do live radio from their dwellings, wherever they may be. Yeah. uh, We radio survivor, um, did one, two, three, four episodes in a row um, way too soon. We, we started on March 17th of 2020 with our first episode covering community and college radio and the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, we went straight through to April 7th, which was still extremely early um, in in the outbreak. I don't, I think the majority of people in the United States um, had barely begun to reckon with the changes that were coming uh, after we'd done uh, essentially an entire month of uh, shows on the pandemic and radio. Um, I haven't yet. It's pretty given... amazing to think about it, actually. Yeah. And, you know, I live I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. So March 17th is around the time that, you know, we had a we had a shelter in place order, um, you know, that started that week. So I I may have been experiencing I may have had a very different experience in March than than people in other parts of the country, but I was yeah. feeling it deeply. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing to me is that stations um, were were sort of forced into technical innovation, uh, whether they like to or not, and and for a lot of you know community and college stations, automation to some extent is a dirty word, right? You know, in in, in the case of you mentioned WFMU. You know, which is a community radio station in Jersey City, New Jersey, uh, renowned for its its sort of cutting edge, free form musical uh, musical presentation, and because it's in the largest media market in the country, right, has also you know kind of an outsized overall li- listenership for a station of that sort, um, is well known and and has always been able to keep this. You know, we are a live on air, you know, kind yeah. of operation, and to sort of have to go to to both, uh, you know, pre-recorded 
or remote broadcasting because, you know, for those of us who've been in college and community radio, you know, there is there is something to having a common space that you share, a studio and and lounge areas and, and music libraries as well, right? The, the physical media, the records, uh, the CDs. Well, and like uh, having, sometimes- having the opportunity as a DJ – to respond to the show that just went on the air prior to you because you're both producing this content live. At this or literally talk to that person yeah. right. as, you, as, you, as you exchange places in the studio. And, in the, in, you know, the, so that's, you know, so the, that sort of goes away for so many stations and for the stations that had avoided having automation because of the fact that it, it sort of clashes with their with their ethos of live uh, radio, especially in an era in which um, on the rest of the dial, very little is often truly yeah. live. And, you know, um, I- it, it was a real challenge, you know, but it, I think highlighted the fact that. Um, this is a particular technical innovation that um, may be necessary to continue to be a broadcaster. Well, yeah. And, you know, so I, I'm also a volunteer and DJ at KFJC at Foothill College. We had zero automation. We prided ourselves on live DJs 24-7. We never went off the air. We always have live people in the middle of the night. And, you know, suddenly suddenly we were faced with a situation where there were actually days when our campus closed because of bad air quality this year as well, because of wildfires and smoke. And, um, and I think we realized that we were unprepared, you know, for dealing mm-hmm. with that. And, and not everyone felt comfortable going up to the station. So suddenly we started airing rebroadcasts and figuring out the technology. And, and now we're starting to have some people, pre-recording shows from home as well. But you're right. I mean, it was this, it's this mental shift. And I think stations like KFJC and WFMU, you know, what's it going to be like in the future now that some people are used to doing shows at home? Well, we, and, well, and you don't want to miss that community at the station yeah. that you what, talk about that's so vital where you're interacting with people in person, hanging out, chatting, playing music from the station's library. You know, LPs, CDs, cassettes. Yeah. Uh, when we spoke with Ken Friedman of WFMU back on episode number 240 on April 7th of 2020, uh, he talked about how important it was because that was actually not in the forefront of my mind uh, how his station was dealing with this, the fact that he valued the live radio uh, so greatly and wanted the DJs to show up and be in the station because, you know, obviously the technology has been available for people to record their DJ sets at home and email them in high quality audio to the station and the station can air, you know, there's, there's not there, there's no reason not to do that except for if the values of your station is to have that live sound. And I challenged Ken Friedman to sort of explain why live was so important to him. And he gave a great answer, but it wasn't until, um, later on in the year, uh, when you know here in 2020, as you may remember if you've lived through it, uh, it took uh, more than a week for the outcome of the election to be sort of officially announced as far as the news uh, was concerned, and uh, it, it was a Friday. And when when the when Joe Biden's victory it was a Saturday, 
Yeah, it's funny. It was a little. It's it was a it was a fuzzy event. It was it was a Saturday. I remember very clearly because I was woken up by uh, one or two fireworks. Um, How fun! You know, here and 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 only that. And I thought to myself, "Hmm, on a Saturday morning, that must mean <laughs> the president has been declared." And I wanted to turn on my local radio station and hear the DJs song decision in that moment and that's that was unfortunately uh, not available to me no matter where i spun my dial even around um even to wfmu i went straight i went i went everywhere looking for a dj and i suspect if it had been a friday you might have gotten that because right. stations uh you know have adapted to having you know some of their their drive time programming be uh you know not pre-recorded but done live from remote locations i suspect you might have heard that but it, very specifically because it's a saturday morning i think um where which might have otherwise been a live dj on these stations um you know there's probably less pressure to try and figure out how to make that live yeah. uh than there is f- for a drive time so i do think the fact that it, the day of the week in in, in that particular situation is critical, but but also you know I think we have to recognize the other technical in- innovation that stations uh, have been in many ways forced to adapt to is the ability to do live broad- remote broadcasting, yeah. right? Uh, and not just because of the coronavirus, but again, as we men- as you mentioned, Jennifer at KFJC at Foothill College, you know uh, things like wildfire uh, smoke meant that people really couldn't be out and about campuses were closed um, often uh, I know that you know studios or buildings were closed because they had um, HVAC systems that couldn't keep up with the smoke, couldn't yeah. keep the air healthy inside of them. Um, and so beyond just, you know, but and, and yet there's still a need in many cases well, a lot to of, be live, yeah. especially when you're dealing with something like a wildfire situation. Right. Um, and and there are technologies and have been technologies for quite some time that allow you to, um, you know, relatively easily control an entire station apparatus remotely. In fact, at this point in time, pretty much for full power stations, it's required uh, by the FCC to have that kind of control, especially because you're, it's, it's pretty common that your transmitter and your studios are not on the same site. Um, but that, um, and then on top of that though, to be able to, to take over and go live from, from some other location. Um, and, and, and again, for, for a lot of stations, especially, you know, it, it, while I say it's fairly simple and, and, and in, in the scheme of things, not very expensive for a lot of uh, non-commercial stations, it is expensive. Um, you know, and, and, and so there could be good reasons why a station would not have been made that investment up to now to be able to continue to broadcast with, out sending anybody into a studio, right? Well, and there's take over that that broadcast any from anywhere, and that's one part of it is being uh, technically able to run your station remotely live. Uh, you know what I'm learning; it makes a lot of sense. Is that think about a community radio station with maybe a hundred DJs and hosts? They all have completely different technical setups in their dwellings and and different aptitudes. So it's. It's very different than, say, building, I don't know, two studios in your radio station and buying all the equipment and understanding how everything works. When you start having a bunch of people broadcasting remotely with myriad equipment um, and, you know, different ways of of getting their signal into the station, it becomes it becomes really complicated. And a lot of 
there's a lot of troubleshooting and a lot of things that can yeah. break down. So that that's been a learning curve, I think, for a lot of places is figuring out how to get DJs comfortable with doing a show from home and figuring out the right setup for everybody. Yeah. Well, and it, and, it, and it really forces it can highlight and exacerbate socioeconomic differences. Exactly. Right? Because access to the to to the proper uh, Internet um, having the equipment available to you to do these things, um, and and perhaps the place inside your home, yeah. you know, uh, where, which is quiet enough uh, to do that. There are reasons why we build studios and things like that. It's not, <laughs> you know, these aren't uh, it, it's it, they they aren't nice to haves in a lot of in a lot of ways, right? There 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 have been real necessities, and certainly a lot of that book has been rewritten in 2020. But I don't think all the problems have been solved clearly, and and and. And it will there will probably continue to be a challenge for community and college radio in figuring out you know if we want to remain um, accessible to people um, who have uh, you know who do not have access to to great internet who do not have access to the latest technology uh, for any number of different reasons or don't have even necessarily technical knowledge although they're very capable of running a radio console in a studio uh, how do we right. how do we adjust Call- for that <laughs> you know I think you can say for six or eight months this is what we're going to deal with but what do we do when we when, what, for the longer term uh, you know because we don't really know if if what the sunset is on this circumstance. Right. One of my favorite this is just like a little hack trick that one station mentioned was they had set up some Wi-Fi that extended into their parking lot so DJs could actually drive into the parking lot to upload their show like so maybe you have bad internet connection at home and so they boosted things so you could basically just drive and be socially distanced in the parking lot and upload your show right. thought that was great if you have a car we on our episodes uh, dealing with the radio uh, community radio college radio and the pandemic um we a number of the people who run radio stations that we spoke with talked about um providing uh the technology to to some of their djs right they had you know i'm thinking specifically on um the episode where we spoke with wtju's uh, nathan nathan moore uh general manager there that he had provided uh, the you know the usb mixers that you would need um to record your show the the technology exists uh radio survivor in fact in the year 2020 we had our first uh live episode where we each each member of the of the radio program including our guests were at home but we were broadcasting uh, from our homes live on um our affiliate radio station here in portland oregon so you know and that um that was exciting but we by no means have um excessively fancy equipment to accomplish this goal uh everything was was possible um on a real uh shoestring budget but but one man's shoestring is another man's uh you know luxury item so recognizing that it's difficult to be live on the radio you know, i would say that the bottleneck is certainly um decent internet access um no matter how great of a mixer you own um, if your internet is up and down and not uh, fully functional, which is oftentimes not even – you can't even buy great internet depending on – you might just live in a bad internet 
part of well, town. Precisely. That, and unfortunately, uh, despite uh, the claims to the contrary by our uh, outgoing FCC chair, right. um, a lot of the uh, b- plans to, to have broadband more well built out across uh, the country have, have not really come to fruition or come to fruition in, in ways that are truly realistic. You know, it's similar to how the shutdowns of, of say, libraries have really yeah. uh, adversely and 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 um, unequally impacted certain populations of people who who rely on libraries as a place to get internet uh, to have access to uh, to all sorts of computers online resources and get the help they need often to use these resources right the assistance uh, someone who who has uh, you know more experience in finding things online uh, there to guide you in that usage right i mean it's it, it, it there is um you know there's many different parts to this uh that we're still kind of i think uh feeling the effects of as in in as we you know close out 2020 not really seeing an end in sight to to our lockdown i will say that i i got an email uh yesterday uh I, you know from my company where i work which is a a radio, uh, online music, and podcasting company saying that uh, they've decided our offices will remain closed through to July 6th of 2021, um, which I'll note, right, is more than seven months from now, you know, so that's another half year. And, you know, the company I work for produces radio, produces satellite radio, produces podcasts, and, you know, the large percentage of all that stuff has moved to people's homes, right? And, and, and whether they're hosting or shows or things like this, and there's a small number of sort of essential personnel who have to run, uh, you know, the operations, who have to run the uplink facility to the satellite, et cetera, keep the servers running, keep the computers running. Um, but, you know, if they go into offices, they go in more or less alone, right? And then it's all very limited. Um, and so, you know, I think I'm not uh, being a catastrophic, when I say we're probably in this for at least another half a year or so, and that's that's true for for you know community college low power FM radio stations podcasters of all type, um, you know Eric, uh, you know I miss having you here in the studio here in our yeah. little home studio every week, right? It's it's it gets old uh, having you only be um, you know an avatar on my screen, you know Jennifer. Uh, while we only are in the studio together once in a while, I miss the fact that we weren't able to do that at all in in, in 2020. And and it seems like for the last few yeah, years, we've been we record- off at least once or twice. Yeah, we were, so yeah. we're recording this over a video call for people who might not be looking at us in person right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're all remote. Um, and, and similarly, I haven't been to KFJC where I DJ since I think February. Um, which is a very surreal experience. And and there are people going into radio stations, so we do still have live DJs going in, but it's a matter of choice as to one's comfort level. Some radio stations are not allowing anybody to come in or yeah. only allowing a limited number of people. Um, and, and, of course, stations are employing, you know, safety practices and requiring masks if they do have people in the studio. Uh, but you're right, I think... I think this is going to be happening for a while. Yeah, and I just want to recognize how difficult it is for, um, you know, it's it's we can handle it. I I'm this is uh, 
you know, easier for me than it should be. But I, my heart really just goes out to the entry level worker whose whose first day on the job is a learning experience. I can't imagine learning radio uh, from home, right, without being uh, present physically in a radio station. I can remember. Uh, before I became a podcaster, my time inside of a radio station with other people around, and it was um, it was unpredictable, but it was also um, uh, it was predictable. At certain at some point in the day, I would physically help somebody do something that they had not yet known how to do. I would teach somebody something, and um, and at the same time, on any given day, somebody else at the station, sometimes older than me, sometimes younger than me, would teach me something that I didn't know how to do. And that, that learning is still possible over the internet, over Zoom or whatever, but I really think that, um, especially for people who um, who rely on the radio stations uh, for the to, to own the expensive equipment, to have that great connection to the internet, um, to have the phones and the microphones so that they can um, go about their lives without having to own that equipment. Um, that's what's missing uh, in a socially distanced station. You know, it's really, as as all things during 2020, it's really laid bare, um, you know, the class differences and the social standings uh, that that were in the United States already that some people can function easily in a work from home environment or even a learning at home environment if you're a student and um the for and for other people they uh they can't stay home they have to go <laughs> they have to leave yeah. the house you make a great point i really hadn't considered right and and i start to wonder is i mean are there new broadcasters this year because you know part uh, exactly as you pointed out part of learning radio is hands on um, it's being in front of a board. It's or it's you know learning how to use all this equipment. And it's not as if I agree. It's not as if you can't learn that you know from watching YouTube videos or from a live uh, Zoom session with a teacher or something. But you know the logistics involved are, are significantly uh, more difficult yeah, than than it is with inviting somebody in in front of a console. And, and, and just simply showing them how, how to do these and, things. And so I wonder, Jennifer, you know, if you have a sense or maybe this is something we could we should we should look into is like how how did college radio stations in particular, a place where I think we we see a lot of incoming new broadcasters on an annual basis, how did they deal with that? Did they deal with it? How yeah. did they bring in, you know, new new sort of freshman broadcasters? Th- yeah, things are shifting and um there have been bumps along the way, and I've heard from a lot more stations who are creating training videos uh, because that's becoming imperative if you're not in the studio. So a lot more tutorials and, and like, scaffolding, you know. So if you don't have hands-on training, you're teaching the material in a different way. You know, some stations are letting people into the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing more of these kind of training sessions over Zoom People have found that um, teaching editing can be a little bit tricky over some of these platforms because there's this delay. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot of learning that's been happening about how on earth do you teach audio editing remotely? How do you get software to people? And And it's a real... Some some schools have had to, you know, request additional licenses so that people can use software at home. Software licenses, yeah. Yeah, so it's... 
It's complicated. At KFJC, you know, they started doing these online training classes because we rely on new volunteers every quarter at the station. And a lot of that hands-on audio editing training is sort of on hold because of the situation. And what about just sort of making a show? I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking, I mean, you're, you're talking about audio editing, and, and but, you know, if you... If you do a music show, a live music show at a, at a typical kind of college or community radio station, there's no editing involved. You sit down, you know, at a console and, you know, maybe you have a computer that you're playing your MP3s or you have a music library there. You're using CD players. You're using record players. Um, that's your training. And if that if that's not how you're broadcasting. Right. right. It's like totally how, different. Like what I'm, I'm, I'm you know. Well, and there's entirely new. Know what people do? There's entirely new training. So, I mean, yeah. there's new training for longtime volunteers and staffers too. Right. So people are teaching each other. Okay, this is how I'm doing my show from home. These are the tools I'm using. So I'm seeing a lot more of this kind of person to person training at, happening at a lot of stations and even between stations, which I've done myself. I've asked friends at other radio stations, like, how did you do it? And so some people have sent me, you know, their videos, which have helped me do my show from home. So there's a lot of this informal. And how do you do it? I know you've been phoning in, but are you actually like assembling the songs and, you know, importing them into like an audio editing, you know, thing and, and sort of doing it like that? I mean, is that what people are doing? I'm really honest. I know it's, this is what you can do, but I, I'm curious if that's what people are well, doing. Well, what I'm doing, which was strongly recommended, is that um, – you act like you're doing a live show. Right. So, and then you capture that audio on your computer and it's saved as, say, an MP3 file. Well, and, and are you playing it on a, I'm, I'm sorry to get into the weeds, are you playing it on a CD player or are you playing it off of, like, how are you, oh, well, how so are you what, playing it? Yeah, so what I'm doing, <laughs> I'm using this tool called Voice Meter Banana. Um, and it's basically like a mixer on my computer. Okay. And then it can, I can record audio on my computer using this mixer tool, and it also has um, an input for inputs for hardware. So I have my microphone plugged into my computer, um, and then it has uh, different channel multi tracks. So I can have say one channel for maybe I'm using iTunes to play my music out, play MP3s out of, and maybe I have another channel for music from the internet. Um, and then I believe I haven't tried this yet, but I have another hardware channel or two, so I might be able to plug in a turntable and play things from a turntable. Okay. So, so basically, your computer becomes the mixing board and yeah. recorder at once. And I know this software exists. Um, you know, I've used software like this. You know, sometimes it's expensive. Sometimes not everyone has access. And so I, I was really just curious about it. Um, and this one is free, um, huh. so, so it's super easy for a new person like me. Um, and there's another tool that a lot of people are using called audio hijack, um, yeah. that works on Macs. And I think audio hijack even has a button like a broadcast button. So you can do this whole process and send it to a stream to literally broadcast from, right. from this tool. So, wow. All right. Well, I learned something. Uh, that's really great. Uh, and we'll put notes. I'll put these into the show notes as well at radiosurvivor.com uh, slash podcast. Um, and this is our edition 
uh, for, I don't even know the date or the, or the number, but, uh, if you go to survivor.com slash podcast, I can tell you, it'll Paul. be there. It's we're, um, we're at episode number 276. Wonderful. It's number com- 276. Well, so that was the year that was 2020 in radio and podcasting, college radio, community radio, public radio, low power FM. And, uh, Little Tiny Part 15 Unlicensed Broadcasting. We covered on a lot of things. We we're certain we weren't exhaustive. Were there any highlights or, or, or stories or, or ideas in radio or, or sound that, that came to your mind that we failed to cover? Drop us a line. Podcast at radiosurvivor.com. We love to hear from you. We do our best to answer everybody who writes in. Of course, you can also tweet at us or uh, drop us a line at Facebook. Those are the two uh, social media platforms where, where we're very very active we're also active on instagram uh and and we're easy to find we're radio survivor i joined tiktok this year but i'm not making radio survivor content <laughs> okay well then we're not on tiktok yet oh my goodness. i'm not sure I, i'm not sure my head could 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 take it yet wait well to punt that into 2021 that's we right are a listener and reader supported enterprise to learn more about how you can help radio survivor keep doing what we do please go to radiosurvivor.com slash support went into the weeds uh, there well, no, but but it's serious because I think people want to know, and and I don't think that's going to the weeds because I think for a lot of I've had people ask me the question all the time, and I can say, well, this is how I do it, but I bought software to be able to do it, right. and I'm self-taught, and I know how to do all this stuff, and often for me to go back and and with and and tell someone how they should do it when they've never done it before, it's difficult for me. Um, oh, and, and I, I mean, would, yeah, know. I. So I mean. I don't even use MP3s generally. So this was like on your show, right? You're usually you're yeah, no, so, vinyl, yeah. And I'm not even really an I'm not an MP3 listener at all. So this is like a humongous shift um and way more work than going to the radio station and doing a show, hmm. but but also very gratifying to actually be doing a show again. <laughs> have have you guys lost any DJs who can't do it? Hmm. Um, well, there's some people who have kind of permanent fill-ins. Um, so there are some people who haven't done a show in a long time. Some people are only airing rebroadcasts of their show, yeah. which is what I had been doing since March. I'd been handpicking, um, which has been great. So I was largely airing special shows of mine from, you know, from years past. So it was kind of like best of, and so, um, that's been cool to revisit those, but, but there are moments like you mentioned, Eric, um, when the election results came out, um, you know, there are moments when you want to be doing a show that kind of speaks to what's going on in the world. So it's been fun for me to be able to do that again, even, even just have a show where I'm playing songs about December or, you know, (laughs) yeah, I know if I might be philosophical about radio and what I love about it, um, it, I really love turning on the radio station in the town where I live. I'm thinking about two places where I've lived in my life and the radio stations that I loved when I lived there. And like they're playing music based on the same weather that I'm living through. Right. Like if they, if it, you know, the, the weather in Portland on, on in December at 4 PM deserves a certain soundtrack. And if they created that soundtrack the night before, it's not the same and it's okay. It's mostly, you know, in a world where you stream what you want to stream when you want to stream it, it's, 
it's a weird, it's very much splitting hairs to worry about what you're missing when you're not hearing a live DJ. But there is something there. And if there mm-hmm. wasn't something there, yeah. we wouldn't care about radio it's at this special. point. No, and, and no one would care about live Zooms, right? No one would care about all the sort of right. um, uh, fill-in technologies we've embraced, right? Well, those uh, are conversations. I still think about well, no, performances. No, no, not necessarily. There, there's right. lots of performances happening over Zoom that are one-way, one more way or performances, less, right? yeah. You know, with maybe people being able to, like, you know, send a chat or click a click an emoji or something. Right. You know, so I think that, that we've seen a lot of, of folks wanting to have that kind of simultaneous engagement. I actually saw a, uh, a Medium post written by the author Susan Orlean, right, who um, uh, she's a pretty well-known nonfiction author and writing about how she was Podcaster. missing kind of – Huh? Susan Orlean had a wonderful podcast. I don't know if it's she still on podcast. the air. She had a podcast. Yeah. Called yeah. About um, Crying. About called crybabies, yes, um, and but she she was writing how you know watching a new HBO series, she was missing the fact that you know it wasn't a simultaneous experience right. because of because of like HBO Max, right? Just something which with Matthew Lassar has spoken right. with us about well, on the show and the apps they built the, how a, a radio in that way you're talking about Eric creates community because there's there's a there's a simultaneity of experience a shared experience of the broadcast in the yeah. context of the broadcast. The apps have built that experience. I don't know if anyone avails themselves of that opportunity, but the last time I opened a particular app that I'm not going to plug uh, without getting paid to plug it, uh it, it asked me, hey, do you want to tell your friend you're about to watch something? Mm-hmm. It, it offered me the opportunity to have a simultaneous uh, distanced viewing of a program, you know, well, to, and, re, to recreate that experience of watching something on and television. I'm, I'm doing that during my radio show on social media. So I'm, I'm generally recording my radio show now in the morning of the I, right. my shows at night so i record it that morning but then when the show is live i go on social media and i chat and provide running commentary while listening so i'm trying to and i was doing that even when i was airing rebroadcasts of my show so that i would feel engaged like i was doing a live show um because yeah i there's there's that live part of it that i want too even as the person creating the show yeah Yeah, totally you know i uh i wonder what you know i I was thinking of all these ways in which we could in which possibly making a sort of live-ish kind of broadcast remote broadcast uh could be accomplished that that was that could help folks who you know may not have all the technology they need in their home at their ready to be able to do it live in particular right and i know you know it's because jennifer you sparked it because you told me how you in some cases for your show on kfgc you know it was a rebroadcast but you called in at certain points oh yeah i did that too yeah live commentary that's right and i wonder if, if if you couldn't i mean you know it, you know, in the way that, that a lot of commercial radio, frankly, happens, um, you know, there are hosts who, who don't touch any equipment, right? They have a microphone, and all of the engineering is done by an engineer, is done by a board operator. And so, I mean, it seems to me you could have have a situation in which if, if say, uh, either if your studio allows to have one person in or they're really limiting – you know, the number of people, right. not just who can well, be in the studio at one time, but who are permitted at all just to kind of keep the cleaning down, you know, they could run, they could, they could stack up, 
the music, oh, right? Wh- whatever form it's in, and the DJ, you know, and so obviously it's a it's a case in which the the DJ, so to speak, the host would have to send in, uh, you know, give their their playlist in advance, of course, but they could have it pulled, and. And it's like a phone. cool version of voice tracking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Well, I mean, but but no, it's just sort of taking that person who might otherwise just be in a studio with just a microphone while an engineer does all the segues yeah. and all the engineering and just putting them somewhere else. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's how to do a music show. I know that, you know, so our first guest back in March uh, was Brian Edwards Teeker at the, you know, Brian sort of laid the groundwork for understanding the pandemic uh, for me in particular as a listener to his radio program and then also as a guest on Radio Survivor at the beginning of um, our experience in the United States with dealing with the pandemic, um, they very they, – they said – you know, Brian explained on the program to us that because they were talking to public health experts, they understood earlier than even you know other members of the media or other political leaders understood. They understood earlier what a serious situation we were heading into and they, they took steps to um, shift – this large, largely staffed public radio program that, you know, the morning show, which is a two hour public affairs program with um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight segments, eight, eight guests, eight segments, two hosts, uh, two producers, a board op. They took that entire show and shifted it so that it would be socially distanced so that all the producers were at home. All of the hosts were at home, and they only had a board op enter the building, so there was no longer, um, you know, a risk of infecting coworkers. All the guests were being contacted over the internet, um, and that's how they've run their radio show now for nine months. Uh, I wanted to mention on our podcast, I bring it up because I just I'm glad that it's that uh, every week, every Monday, they have the same guest on the show. During the same segment, the second segment of the show, so a half an hour into the broadcast, who's a public health expert uh, from Berkeley, and uh, that that continuing ongoing call-in show has been uh, the most important radio in my life in 2020. Um, I listen to it as a podcast. I nev- I've never had the opportunity to listen to it live or call in, but... Um, it's just something I wanted to mention. Uh, you know, Brian yeah. Edward Secret has been a guest on Radio Survivor uh, a handful of times, and uh, the work that's going on there at KPFA, um, the public service work that they're doing, I think, has been really exemplary. Um, because you know, even the like, even MSNBC, even CNN, uh, even my local. Uh, NPR affiliate radio station has not provided me with that level of um, information, public service information, you know, a, a, a health expert um, explaining just how uncertain things are in the months where they're uncertain, explaining um, what we have learned in the in the weeks that we've learned it. And this um, updated uh, format of having it occur each week. Has been incredible, and it's just one person, right? It's not. It's not like some panel of experts who are expected to somehow also, you know, right. disagree with each yeah, other, right? That's not the purpose. No, it's it's yeah. one. It's I'll, I'll get the name before the end of the episode. So that I well, it's yeah. cool. They had such a head start. You know, I love that episode that we did with Brian, where 
you know, he had been following COVID-19 for quite a while before most of us knew much about it. So they were well positioned as a radio station to address it, uh, both on the air and both like in in the station community. It's really funny. There is actually a former KPFA volunteer journalist who, after uh, working at this radio station in the 80s, um, went on to win a Pulitzer Prize for her reporting on pandemics in China. So a former KPFA journalist became an expert in these highly contagious diseases that tend to originate from China uh, and have caused a lot of suffering in China before they, uh, you know, there's been decades of experiences that they've had that prepared them for this particular pandemic when, um, when, Anyway, it's been she was ready and she was a guest on their radio show in February. Uh and that that laid the groundwork of my understanding of what was about to occur in the United States. Um uh just yeah. just having having that level of um expertise available. Anyway, interview your guests. That's my well, that's my takeaway. Everyone should interview <laughs> yeah. experts. You know, I was just I was thinking a little bit more about live, right? You know, and especially we in a, in a podcast situation, we were we had the opportunity to, to do two live episodes um, this year. One was with with our, our local affiliate X Ray FM, and one um, we was part of the Grassroots Radio Conference That's in right. October. Two live episodes, but one, we were live one was live on, on the art. radio, and the other was live. In the at the conference, but it was live. It was live on the radio. Oh, that's right. Because yes, the the reason I forget that the second one was live on the radio is because it was not our responsibility. (laughs) We showed up, we spoke in the microphones, and the radio station out in Louisville, Kentucky, took care of. uh, Yeah, it went from the Zoom to the radio. That's correct. Which I kind of wanted to mention that you know some radio stations are doing that as you know it since. Maybe a lot of us are using Zoom these days, so some radio stations are transferring their talk shows to Zoom. Right. And you can even call in on Zoom on a phone, so you don't necessarily have to have a computer. Oh, and there are ways, look them up, they're easily Googled, how to improve your sound quality by changing your settings on these different communications Which is something we did for for the GRC, for Grassroots Radio Conference, you know, but, but, you know, and and it was great, and and there are, you know, I've, I've, I've toyed in the back of my head, and I've probably mentioned to Eric once or twice, you know. I, I'm sort of always sort of interested in, in taking Radio Survivor live, except for the fact that we don't – our schedule – You know, we tend to record on Fridays, but we don't have really a, a static schedule in the same way. Right. But to do it every so often is, is sort of fun. And, and I want to note that you know, there's actually this long tradition in, in podcasting of there being live podcasts. Um, and there's two networks that come to mind, and they're both tech networks. And I think that that's at least part of of the – of what ties them together, if we if we think about it, um, as we think about the original sort of podcast, Geek of the Week, um, being something which also uh, came out of the the first initial efforts to broadcast audio live on the internet, uh, you know, more than twenty five years ago. So there's Twit TV, which is right. uh, this week in Tet Network, <laughs> um, and they actually they. All everything they do is recorded live and broadcast live. It's broadcast actually live with streaming video and streaming audio. Yeah, I remember. And, I and then I discovered their channel turned into podcasts. I discovered their channel on the day that the iPad was, uh, you know, that we were that we knew the, the first iPad. The, the, the name iPad 
was released into the wild, and I happened to have uh, probably clicked on a Twitter link and found this uh, uh, live stream. You know, back in the days uh, before a live stream was was well, more accessible. The, yeah, and I think it's because of the way you know why I think the fact that it's tech is is because it, it, generally speaking they're chat shows, so they're easier to you know to produce live. I think, mm-hmm. um, and and there's a lot of interaction. Right, so they have a live chat going on, um, and it, and it's a relatively lively chat space, right? And and I think the notion is that um, a lot of folks who do tech jobs, um, server admins, coders, and stuff, often have other things going on because some of their work is kind of rote. They can be listening to a podcast and continue to work right. on, and so they can just have, you know, the sort of this week in tech going on, and then they can turn over and chat and go back to what it is they're doing if they're like backing up you know, servers or doing kind of rote work that, that that's required to be done. Um, you know, and, and, and the, the guy who created it, Leo Laporte, was a longtime radio host, uh, the tech guy, I think is how it goes by, um, and had been part of a, uh, a television network, a live television network called Tech TV that was on in the, in the early 2000s. That's right, Tech TV. Yeah, you know, it's that like started out- channel. It was a cable channel and satellite channel, um, and you know, which was live, you know, not twenty four seven, but live for, through most of the day, where they talk tech, take calls, and whatever. Um, you know, sort of like a CNN, only much more sure. laid back. And he was he was the one of the anchors there. And when that folded, he sort of created this week in tech. Um, as a network which continues on and, and has been a real stalwart but but is pretty much everything is recorded live um, and so you can tune in and catch the shows live if you like and, and when they go to podcasts there's pretty much minimal editing I think they really try to turn around really quickly yeah. and then there's another uh, smaller network called 5x5 uh, 5x5.tv also a tech network has some other shows on other topics and I don't know if they do every single one of their shows live, but many, many of their shows they also do live. I think they only do it as an audio stream. And again, part of it is because they have a very active chat, you know, so folks are sort of interacting live and depending on the show, they might actually, the host might actually interact live, but if, if nothing else, the, the listeners interact live. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's to me, you know, it, it, it's part of the, the potentiality there. And for shows that are, you know, like kind of like our show, really, um, you know, alive can be fun and can be and can give it another dimension. You know, I think. That, and I guess we've uh, been able to do that when we when we've done a live show at a conference. Yeah, we've but, been able to engage with audience questions. That's true. And we did. Yeah. So that has been that has been cool. But yeah, there's nothing like um, there's nothing like opening the phones and having it uh having having people on the other side of of the uh, listening experience be able to call in it it takes a certain uh takes a certain kind of predictable <laughs> signal well, yeah, it does, diff- uh, yeah i mean it, it adds schedule risk. or something <laughs> but i mean they're also i mean certainly um i know podcasts have experimented a lot with with say facebook live sessions oh, right sure. where which may be scheduled but prop you know aren't necessarily on a regular schedule and and in part the platform does the work for you of telling people who your followers that you're going live right it's 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 i don't know how much i should just go off and explain my my hobbies that are adjacent to podcasting uh, i have the name of the the guest though let me say that uh john Schwartzberg uh was a clinical professor emeritus of infectious diseases at uc berkeley school of public health and has appeared 
on the KPFA morning show known as Upfront every Monday at at the 7:30 a.m. hours so you can you can always uh, go to their podcasts or their mp3s and skip to that half an hour um it's really been uh, the most important radio of of my life during the pandemic times uh, because of the the comfort of having an expert explain gee we don't know and also explain well we definitely know dot 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 and that um the difference between the, those two statements has been uh, has been lacking in a lot of other coverage. Uh, I was going to talk about my favorite live streamer, as dumb as it is. He's becoming ex- incredibly popular, uh, and I don't have to talk about him very much. But he, he live streams mostly on YouTube and Facebook, and he takes listener calls, and they give him uh, song ideas, and then he improvises a song. He does it on the phone? He takes listener calls using one of those uh, VoIP VoIP services. Uh, they call him through their phones. They're calling in from their that's cell phones. I, that's, yeah, that's what I wanted to know. But yeah, he's that's... but he's taking the call over his laptop on the air during the live stream, and then he'll sing a song. And I once tried to call in, and it was impossible. He's popular. It's really funny. Um, that's and, cool. That reminds me of something that was like pre. Pre-COVID, there was a college radio station that had an improv show, improv comedy show, yeah. where people could call in or tweet various things that you know would prompt them to do their scene. Right. Well, I listened to. Well, it's like Negative Land. You know, yes. we still do the Over the Edge show where you can call in, and their rule is don't say just hello. Just don't say hello, right? Because they, they just the bring you into the mix. Yeah, <laughs> you, so their whole collage is going on. <laughs> And and you just you just become part of the show. Of course, you know with, they have all the power to uh, to hang up on you. Yeah, or to mix you in with sixteen other sounds <laughs> right. that you have no control over. Don't um, expect to have a monopoly. You yes. can, especially if you want one. Uh, as soon as you demand uh, your voice be heard, you're definitely going to be uh, reversed and given a delay pedal effect. Um, you can listen to the archives of their show, and there's lots. There's lots of those voices swooping in, and sometimes they're very profound, uh, you know, meta commentaries on the programming that was already planned. And sometimes they're chaotically distracting and ridiculous. Um, I listened to some very old Joe Frank episodes this year uh, from the early 1980s. Uh, you know, Joe Frank. I've always known Joe Frank as a master of the radio drama format and kind of an experimental. Uh, you know, innovator of different kinds of sounds, a proto podcaster, in my opinion. And this Joe Frank never did call ins in my lifetime or that I was aware of, but some of these very early uh, WN, not WNYC, WBAI uh, radio programs were actually call in radio. They're very silly and irreverent, and they were taking phone calls. Um, reminded me a little bit of uh, the other. Uh, great original comedy podcast the best show that tom sharpling yeah. did at wfmu taking listener and calls now does as a live way. and now does as a live podcast that's like, right he's still doing it and it's live uh streamed on the internet and then distributed as a podcast because that's kind of where it found greater fame i want to know uh so radio survivor listeners should we do a live show every so often, even just just on our own decide to to stream live i i you know we i can do it 
I know how to do it. I, I have my own little personal radio server. That's right. Uh, because doesn't everybody have their own little personal radio server in the cloud? Uh, drop us a line, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. The, te- I think- the technology is available if you choose to, if you choose to dig deep but do you, down. But do you choose to want to listen? That's the question. Well, yeah, Let us too. know. We'd love to hear from you all. Well, I, I think I, we can. We can. Uh, I think. I think we have. We have That's exhausted. Yeah. This I, all part I want to do. Twenty twenty. All <laughs> I want to do is talk about the new, um, the new Zoom gear that you can buy if you love podcasts. It's been a great that needs year. To be a bonus episode. It's been a That's great it. year. You know, Paul and I love our gear, but we don't spend very much. Uh, we, you know, we, we we could never accomplish what the true, the truly great gear, inter, the the gear review. Uh, used to be gear review bloggers now it's gear review youtube channels um it's because i don't have the gear they don't send it to me but that's what i'm saying yeah but we can never accomplish what they accomplished but it's been a great year for gear for podcasters uh we need to let jennifer go here okie dokie um god bless you everybody be safe uh stay inside if you're able to if you're not able to stay inside wear a mask yes be safe